Welcome to the ABCs to live your dope life. This is an opportunity to be a fly on the wall while I engage with some of the most fascinating, inspiring, and brilliant people I know who have played a direct or indirect role in my own healing and continued growth process. The change process is not easy, comfortable, or nearly as fast as so many of us wish it would be. And my hope with this podcast is to instill some playfulness, simple tools to practice, and ultimately, a place for you to recognize that you are not alone. A dope life is one that is aligned with who you truly desire to be, and a congruency between what is deep beneath the surface and what shows above the surface. It's the real, the raw, the complexities of our light and our shadows. The only thing that is ever truly in your way is you. Join me on this journey as we continue to grow stronger together. It's time to live your dope life. All right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, Welcome, Vince Fowler. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yes, I'm so honored. I'm I'm really excited to sit down with you. I've uh, you've been in my my field for several years, but yeah. we've at, we've never actually sat down and had a conversation. So No, nope, traded a couple notes here and there on Slack and yeah. here we are. Yeah. So this is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um so today we we are on um, D as we move through the alphabet and the topic today is design your life and death. Life and death. Here we go. Um, And why I chose you, even though we've we've never had a conversation. Well, first of all, I know that you're a coach and you uh, you're someone who just is willing to have the difficult conversation and you're in the work. So that in itself, I knew this is a topic that you would be willing to dive into. Yes. Um, And I knew that you have a history in the military. Yes. And so again, I thought you would have an interesting perspective on this topic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and thank you. Right before we started up, uh, we poured some scotch. We did. Yeah. And for those who can't see what we see (laughs) and taste, this is uh, Berry Brothers and Rudd Bottle. It's distilled by Glenn Rothis. It's, uh, they're from Speyside. It's a 1995 and it's a 23 year bottle, Mm. bourbon cask. Beautiful. It is beautiful. Look at the legs on that. <laughs> legs Amazing. for days. Yeah, that's oh, so yummy. I wish you could smell what we smell. Yeah, it's good. Mm. What kind of notes do you smell in that? You know, I'm glad you asked because I, th- I think I know. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I'm two years down the rabbit hole of scotch, so okay. in the beginning it all tasted like gasoline to me. <laughs> I can But now, yeah. like I smell honey and mm-hmm. something nutty in there, um, some vanilla notes. I think vanilla is always a cheat. My yeah. daughter, my daughter thinks this one smells has some apples in it. My daughter's twelve and okay. she's got a nose yeah? like a bloodhound. Wow! So I was gonna say maybe strawberry, but apple. That maybe what I'm smelling is apple. Yeah, there's some stuff, right? Yeah, there's some stuff going. Definitely on some spice. Glass. I couldn't tell you what the spice is, but it's it's mm. uh, it's a really sweet smelling. Yeah, it's a really sweet smelling. Yeah, Scotch whiskey goes down water. smooth. Um, I'm about a year into whiskey. Okay. I didn't know that I liked whiskey. I don't know if I could tell you even the first day that I tried it. Um, it was at a wedding, I think. Yeah. And and then I, it was just after one drink of it, I was like, oh my God, I love whiskey. Hmm. And I just kept going up to the bartender wow. and asking for whiskey. <laughs> and every time I'd ask, they'd look at me and be like, you? 
like, yeah, give me some whiskey. Huh. So now I'm a whiskey drinker. Well, this actually dovetails into death. Yeah. Um, so growing up as a kid, Crown Royal, Jack Daniels. Is yep. the, uh, a lot of Jack Daniels and Crown Royal in the military, so drank a lot of it there. Mm. I uh, drank that for years. Uh, probably three, four years ago, bought my first bottle of Jameson Irish whiskey. And um, it was early this early 2018 when I bought a bottle of Glenfiddich, and I can't actually remember why. I was looking for scotch, but there was a scotch tasting at one of the local liquor stores here in Calgary. And what caught my eye was there was a little band around the, the tube, and it said, Wounded Warriors, $2. You know, mm. Buy this bottle. Two dollars goes to wounded warriors, and right. me being a veteran, I'm like, okay, I'll buy that. Right. So here I am thinking I'm 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 a Scotch drinker now, right? <clears throat> and I'm drinking it straight, and, it, and I'm just ruining everything about Scotch. But that's how we got to start somewhere. But I found out who my real birth father was, and that he was passed away by a year and a half. Because I, I mean, I thought I knew who my birth father was, but I, the real truth had not been disclosed to me until. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So to know he. I missed him by a year and a half. I'm, you know, I'm 50 now. I was 30. Sorry, I was 48 at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was March 16, 2018. Mm-hmm. And I was at the liquor store the very next day. Came home with three bottles of scotch whiskey. I was going to buy another bottle of Glenfiddich 15. And this, the guy at the store goes, oh, you're the guy. I said, what does that mean? You only buy it if it's well-known and expensive. So for the next 45 minutes, I said, dude, I don't, I don't know anything. And he schooled me for the next 45 minutes. I sampled so many things. And I left with three bottles. And, and his, he was trying to point out that you can buy really great tasting single malt scotch whiskey. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. And I bought, he gave me, like I bought from three different distilleries I'd never even heard of. I knew Macallan mm. and uh, Glenfiddich and Glenlivet. That's all I thought scotch was. Mm. Well, I think there's like 400 distilleries just in Scotland alone. Wow, right? yeah. So anyways. That's so crazy. The de- I toasted the death of my father yeah. <laughs> a year and a half late, but yeah. nonetheless with wow. a nice bottle of, nice bottle of three bottles of, of scotch whiskey. Okay, so there's some, some history going on here with mm. your whiskey drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, on a side note, actually, I'm going to Scotland uh, in September okay. this year. And I, one of the things I'm really excited about is going and testing out some different whiskeys. Oh. Yeah. If I could find a way to stuff myself in your suitcase. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, I might have to actually reach out and get some, some details on you because you clearly yeah. know a lot about this more than I do. And I'm not married to anything. I love it all. Yeah. Smoky, peaty, you know, yeah. bourbon cask, uh, port cask, sherry cask. I love it all. Okay, great. Yep. Time and a place for everything. Time and a there is no problem in this world that cannot be solved with a closed door, which we have, and a bottle of scotch, which we have, yeah. right? And, and it, some meditation. Love and that. some meditation. <laughs> yeah. And a friend of mine said, you know, um, he, he said, um, so he said that, you know, no, there's no problem we can't solve the closed door and a bottle of scotch. Another guy said, uh, if, you, if you don't like it, you drank it on the wrong day. Yeah. <laughs> so every day is a scotch day. That's great. Yeah. Depending on your state, your mood. 50 yep. different bottles. One of them is going to taste good. Find the one that matches the mood you're in. Yeah. I like that. It's a yeah. good perspective. Yeah. Uh, well, I before we even dive deeper into this topic, one of the questions I love to start off with is, what is in or on your heart today? Uh, great starting question. It, I'd say that uh, presence, peace, self-doubt, um, 
and just breathe. Mm. You know, uh, my family is my rock. My wife is my best friend, and my kids are my life project to prove that you know trauma stops with me, mm. so to speak. Yes. And so, uh, so to get there, to be present, at peace, acknowledge self-doubt, uncertainty, mm-hmm. just breathe. Yeah. And uh, and uh, ironically, the there's a chapter in Michael Singer's book. The Untethered Soul. One of my favorites. So it's the second last chapter, Death is My Teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, what if today's the very last day I'm alive? Mm-hmm. I have every intention to live beyond today, but if today's the last day, and this is my last scotch, and this is my last conversation, mm-hmm. like I'm going to cherish every second of it. Mm. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Mm. I'm a huge Michael Singer fan. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm so excited about this conversation. When did you first read the book? <laughs> uh, I first read it, I've read it several times. Same. Yeah, Same. Um, probably about, it was near the beginning of when I s- started at Lululemon. So it was about 10, 8, 10 years ago. Okay. You're it was right around there. Um, ahead of me. Yeah, <laughs> I at the time too. I I was just devouring content and sure. also recognizing. Well, the other thing we share in common is ADHD, and I um, I really struggled with reading because I would read a book and be like, "Oh my god, this is changing my world," and then in the next moment I would go to open up to someone about it and I couldn't actually recall anything that was in the book. Mm, okay. And so to work with that, I started a book journal. So. In the last eight years, every book I've read, I highlight as I go sure. along, and then I go back through and I transcribe. I used to do it by hand into literal book journals. I have three at home okay. that are just the um, just notes from these books, and then I started doing it um, onto my laptop instead. So I have um, the Untethered Soul is one of those books that wow, I've, right I've done that, and then I revisit it often just to go through it and. And it's one of those books that the more I learn and discover and experience, every time I go back to that book, I'm like, oh, I didn't see this before. Like, I what? Know. <laughs> yeah, I there's know. so much in it. Uh, when did you read it? it uh, so just this year. Okay. I started in December, so last yeah. year. Yeah, but right. but it, it was like five people in a row. You got to have you read this book? Mm. Have you read Untethered Soul? And um, I'm a I'm a judgmental human being. Yeah. Right. I consider the cards on the table. I like it. So, you know, some of these people were very affluent people in Calgary. I'm like, why are you reading this book? You seem, you know, your business is thriving and this is thriving and that's right. Why are you in this book? Right. I thought it was a book for broken people, I think. Mm. So anyways, I five people. I said, okay, fine. I'm going to read it. I read the first chapter twice because the first chapter totally cooked my brain. Yeah. Read the rest of the book, and when I say read, I always mean audiobook. Okay, yeah. I do do the if I get the, and so I liked it so much, I bought the hard copy, mm. and that's usually my mode. Yeah. Audiobook first, love it. Hard copy second, carve yeah. it all up. Get into it, yeah. On the reread though, I I went through the audiobook again, and I did each chapter three times before moving forward into the next chapter. And I finished two weeks ago. Okay, yeah. so it just shows this is a book you can you can study. There yes, is depth. There is book. significant depth. Yeah. A client of mine had mentioned it to me six months ago, so that was the first nudge. And then I just gave it to a client of mine uh, Wednesday. 
beautiful. Yeah, said, you're going to be on a beach. Um, you read anything when you're out? He goes, yeah. So I pulled it out, and he goes, oh, I remember you talking to me about this. So mm. it, the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, yes, yep. totally. So it's a book I will give away as a gift to yeah. many people in my life. I've done the same thing. Yeah, yeah I have to keep buying a new coffee because I just keep giving it away. But it's still worth it. It's, there is. Yeah. And if you think of The Matrix, the movie The Matrix, mm-hmm. and you know, like, in the beginning, Neo can't see The Matrix. Yeah. And then later, at the end of the movie, he, he now sees The Matrix. Yeah. It's that's like untethered soul. I can see the matrix now. I can see that person is tethered. Yes. This person is not. You know, this person's untethered. This person is tethered. Yes. In this moment. Yes. Totally. Yeah. You're speaking my language right now. So, yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have um other than the even the, just the tether piece of that book because that's something that I I'm constantly thinking about is is the tethers as well and how I get entangled to people or when I get into a state of low vibration or feeling rigid or focused on the material, I feel like the tethers have wrapped around me and have hardened. Mm-hmm. And so I keep trying to step back into, you know, through various practices of, of presence and breath and movement and authentic conversation to, to start peeling those tethers away so I can get back into that yes. free flow wave-like formation that we're all a part of. Uh, what else from the book, without turning this into a, a podcast about the untethered soul, I'm curious well, to hear what else really stood out to you. So clearly the death one, um, and something we can uh, expand on, my aunt died pretty much at the time that I started that chapter. Okay. And she's also connected to that whole, who's my, who's my family? And one of my aunts that I discovered in that whole ancestry DNA hand grenade. Mm. Um, but... In the first chapter when he's talking about, you know, are you a cup? Like, I'm not this bottle of scotch. This bottle of scotch is sitting on the table all by itself. I'm not it. I'm me. That's that's scotch. Okay. The thought in my head, also not me. It's it's an object. It feels like it's not inside of me because it's my thought. But it's when I realized my thought is no different than a coffee cup or a bottle of scotch or anything else like that. It's just a thing. It's not me. Mm -hmm. I'm just the first one to hear it. Mm Holy shit balls. That was an eye opener. <laughs> right. Um, talking about energy, uh, just energy flows through versus energy stops because we close our heart. Yes. And I that wasn't like new to me, but I was, it was just said in a, in a way that really, really resonated. And then the other day I caught myself in a completely different state where I was having this thought wrapped completely around self-doubt and, and uncertainty and I caught myself saying, oh, that's an interesting thought coming by. I wonder where that thought came from. And see you later. Mm-hmm. It was like a ship kind of passing in front of me, right? Yeah. A car passing by me in traffic. Yeah. And that's when I realized, holy smokes, mm. what, what can I do now? Right, yeah. And I was yeah. Like, that was my bullet dodging moment. Because mm. it, it was a pretty uncomfortable thought. Yeah, okay. And One you've, the, had, you've had many times before. Yeah, it, a lot of, th- you know, any thoughts revolving around self-doubt, and unworthiness, um, not enough. Yep. Those were like bullets. Mm-hmm. And this particular bullet didn't hit. This bullet, I just Watched did the old it. Neo and bent over with my long black trench coat dragging yeah. on the floor b- below me <laughs> as that flat, you know, sort of spun past in slow motion. And I just kind of watched it go by. Uh, I love yeah. that visual. Yeah. Amazing. There's, there's certainly others, but. You know, those those are some big three standouts. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I love it. 
Yeah, I would, I, the only thing I would share with the one analogy that I continuously come back to anytime I think of the untethered soul is when he shared what balance is. And you can imagine the, the blind man walking down the sidewalk with his stick, and he's swinging it from one edge to the other That's because right. he has to. He has right. to know the extremes. That's the That's only right. way to know the middle way. That's right. And I, to me, that was just that was a mind-blowing yeah. moment of, oh, okay, it's okay to be extreme occasionally. I'm testing my boundaries. I'm, right. I'm figuring out where the edges are yeah. so that I can know the middle. And what I liked about him, he said it, it, he's not looking for where to to go. He's looking for where not to go. Right, yeah. And how many of us examine our life enough to say, you know, I know where I'm going. I just want to make sure I know where I'm not going. Yeah, yeah. And that requires some examination. And this this perfect analogy of a blind person with a, with mm-hmm. a stick, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brilliant man. That's the chapter before Death is Our Teacher. Right, yeah. Have you, have you heard of his uh, book, The Surrender Experiment? Uh, it was gifted to me on my birthday. Beautiful. Okay. So... Yeah. Sounds like I should read it. Yeah, definitely. It yeah. just gives more context into the okay. human behind the wisdom. Okay. Yeah, it's that's a, awesome. It's a wonderful book. Yeah. Um, well, I another one of the questions I like to start off with is uh, how we know each other. So while I've already spoken a little bit sure. to that, um, we have a mutual friend, and that's really where yeah. I think our connection came from. We're both thinking of Sean Freeman. Yeah. Hello, Sean. Hey, Sean. <laughs> He's in Bora Bora. Is he right yeah, now? He left for Bora Bora today. Oh, yeah, so, wonderful. Um, yeah, th- it was a number of years ago. So we connected on Facebook for the first time September 16. I looked that up before. Yeah, we, yeah 2016. 2016. Four years ago. And um, I remember Sean had done a public, uh, I think a testimonial for you. And yeah. he's, he, he, you know, Sean's made some very public comments about you and your work. Yeah. And full disclosure, Instant insecurity in me, right? Like, what? Oh, so, oh my God. <laughs> so who's this Martin? I have to know who's schooling me out there. <laughs> and and so I've always, yeah, I've always kept my eye on you, right? Interesting, yeah. 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 And yeah. then most recently we were trading some messages back and forth in Slack. You have an event coming. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, hey, this event looks really powerful. And right. Here's some, uh, here's some outside observations. Yes, and, which yeah. was so helpful. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Oh, it's easier to put an eye on someone else's stuff than it is our own. <laughs> but yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so I've always respected your work. I've always seen it from afar, and it's, it's kind of cool to, to uh, be up close mm-hmm. in yeah. real life. Likewise, yeah. yeah. This is great. Uh, okay, so I I want to hear actually a little. I just I would love to dive into as much as you're comfortable your your journey. Uh, you know, you've alluded to some of the complexity in, in your history, your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, w- with you being who you are today, you, you are designing your life every single day. You're an entrepreneur. You have a family. Yes. You've stepped outside of what traditionally would be the, uh, the job that has consistency or a, a paycheck every week that you can mm-hmm. predict. Uh, you're in the world of the uncertainty and the, the building it from the ground up. Yeah. So you, you do know designing your life intimately. Yes. Um, so what, t- talk us through the journey of how you got to where you are today. Uh, it was just me and my mother early days. And, you know, my best friend, my, like my hero to everything. Um, my grandmother moves up from the United States. So my mom's American. I was born in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just us. My mother recruit some help from granny and my aunt and uncle live across the lake from us. This is interior BC. Um, 
by the time I'm in grade six, I've been to eight different schools. I get, <laughs> I wrote my, my, going to all these different schools, I had to navigate all these new relationships, right? Mm-hmm. I, my brain thought humor, and maybe that's, no, I now know today I have ADHD. At the time, I didn't know any of this until I was 12. Yeah. So all these different schools, sometimes two, uh, one time three schools in one, in one school year. Mm-hmm. And all in the same town with the exception of once we moved to Terrace for six months, Terrace, BC. So my mouth wrote a lot of checks. My body had to cash. I used humor to, to navigate everything, yeah. right? Um, and so it was at that time when I realized, okay, I was in grade six. There's a classmate. He did a presentation on D-Day, social studies presentation. And he told us about paratroopers. I was like, what is a paratrooper? These dudes jump out of a plane into combat, into behind enemy lines. This is what D-Day was, June yeah. 6, 1944. And I'm like, I completely identify with that person. If I'm a paratrooper, no one can hurt me mm. and no one will hurt anyone else on my watch because nothing's worse. The only thing worse than getting beat up and picked on by others is watching it happen to someone else with no capacity to step in and do anything about it. So that was the initial, hey, I got to join the military. And I, I really just wanted to pick fights with bullies. I couldn't wait to get trained and all these different things. Mm-hmm. My mom had married her third husband when I was uh, 11. I, I remember the second husband. She wasn't married for very long to him. I don't remember the first. Uh, all I knew is none of these people were my father. When I was 17, I asked, hey, you know, so Ralph Fowler adopted me, great guy. And um, we weren't, I wouldn't consider us friends at all during that time. I, he had his own trauma. His, when he was dating my mother, his wife and kids, um, they were separated, but his wife and two kids had been killed in a car accident. I think they mm. were like grade seven, grade eight age. Wow. So he had no, I mean, there was nothing there for him. I mean, yeah. I don't know what kind of treatment was evolved then, but not enough. Yeah. So here he is, married my mom, doing the very best he can to raise me in the absence of his ex-wife and his two kids. Mm. Not easy. And I was too young and immature and ignorant, you know, just the reality of the situation mm-hmm. um, to recognize the trauma he was going through. Today we're, today we're very, very good. Mm. So when I'm 17, classmate says her boyfriend had met his real father. I disclose I'm, I don't know my real father. My, my mother introduced me to a guy named John Grant. And all the while I'm in cadets and I'm preparing my life for the military. So I, I meet this guy, John Grant, and I can't wait to meet him because I, I got a picture in my mind. So I'm 5'11", you know, square jaw, blue eyes, reasonably fit. I'm athletic. I'm getting ready for the Army. I'm as fit as I possibly can be. Yeah. And uh, I go meet this guy in real life. Um, my mother makes this arrangement. We're sitting at this table in this Chinese restaurant, and there's this guy who's not as tall as I predicted. Mm-hmm. Um, blue eyes, and it pretty much stopped there. Round head round nose, kind of like a Santa Claus nose, rosy cheeks, big smile, nice teeth, pot belly. Like if you saw him from behind, you'd never know he had a belly. It was like someone stuck a basketball. Um, Turned out after a kidney replacement, he was, he just leaned right out. So, Mm. you know, but again, I'm judgmental. (laughs) So I'm thinking, okay. And he, and he, he just welcomed me right into the family. Three sisters, a brother. Amazing. So John Grant, three sisters. So so your mom presented him as your father, and he yes. presented himself as your father. Yeah, he he was like, yeah, you're my son. Let's okay. let's do this. Yeah, it was good. You know, every Wednesday was spaghetti night. Mm. So it was good. Yeah. Um, I really, I mean, my sister and I were best friends. I wanted to go to prom with her. Yeah. Because she was like my best friend, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for girls. 
Uh, she had a boyfriend, so she said that was no deal. <laughs> and I ended up going to prom with uh, a mutual friend, Tracy, who's uh, incredible. And again, uh, connected to death here, Tracy would later die of cancer. Uh, two weeks before her death, my sister reaches out to me and says, Tracy would love to hear from you, just too weak to talk. Would you mind writing her a letter? Just to say hi, to say bye. The year prior, one of my grand sisters, Candace, had died in a canoeing accident in uh, up north uh, Yukon, um, Yukon, Alaska border. So tip the canoe summertime, but tip the canoe no ability to self rescue, mm. hypothermia. Found 24 hours later, her and her friend had died. Wow. I spoke at that funeral for Candace. Oh, okay. A year later, Tracy dies, and so I get this chance to write Tracy a letter. So I started off the joke, and you know, I said, "Hey, you, you know, I've always, I've always loved you, like a very platonic love, right? I've always loved you, and met her in grade six. Just a beautiful, beautiful human being." And I said, "You know, if you wouldn't mind, uh, would you mind saying hi to Candace for me? And would would the two of you mind keeping an eye on me? Because at this point in time, and I'm divorced, uh, and um, could definitely use some outside eyes. Mm. And I'll tell you, there are times that I cannot explain, where I'll be sitting there um, in a in a pool of, in a big bowl of, uh, of um, I'll do it later, you know? Yep. Watching a, watching a movie for the fifth time. Yep. Uh, whatever's supposed to be done, Avoiding I'll do it Avoiding and numbing Avoiding. out. Yep. TV will just turn off. No reason for that TV to not work, right? We, we plug it in, it works forever. Turn off. Wow. I'd be like, all right, Tracy, Candace, all right, all right. <laughs> Ladies. I'll get back to work. <laughs> so... So, again, fast forward, I'm 48 years old. Uh, my wife has gotten me Ancestry DNA kit for Christmas. Yeah. And she knows who her father is. She's never met him. She was adopted. Okay. Found out she was adopted when she was 12. Just a yellow envelope pulled out. What's this? Saw a birth name, you know, Danita Burby. New name, Danita Blatz. She's like, what is this? Goodness. Like, so that's how she found Every out. Every child's worst nightmare. Oh, Christ. I'm her mom's a... Her mom's awesome. She's the best mother-in-law I've ever had, and I've got, I've got three. I've had three of them. So. Okay, so you would know. I got some references. <laughs> so Sandy's amazing. So the, you know, the DNA ancestry DNA. You just spit in a cup and it gets sent yeah. off to Ireland, right? Mm-hmm. Ever done that? Yeah. Okay, so you know the drill. I do. Yeah, it's really awkward. I'm like, I have to fill this tube with spit. Is this yeah. for real? Yeah. <laughs> Is it gonna work? Yeah. So, uh, two weeks out, I'm having breakfast with my stepdad Ralph and I just say you know I'm looking forward to the results I you know yammer on about this and that I said I just I'm I really I mean because I don't look like a grant so I'm just curious about his history and it was all very innocent and he just come out and he says well that's because you're not a grant you're a Brecknock oh my god what the fuck is a Brecknock was my immediate response yeah well I thought you knew he says no like as in N-O, you know, K-N-O-W? Yeah. No, N-O. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know Jack. So I, I, I hit Google, Facebook, looking for every Brecknock in the world. Turns out it's a pretty common name from the UK. Okay. And sure enough, two weeks later, the results come in, and, you know, here's my history. It's Scottish, Welsh, Irish, and Scandinavian. So I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Celtic Viking. <laughs> How awesome is that? Want to see your DNA matches? Yep, click. First hit, Kathy Fowler. We think that's your mother. You're right. Next one, Kim Robinson. And I don't know who, I've done enough homework to know the name. 
but I don't know Kim Robinson. It's not a cousin, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it just says we think this is your first cousin. Uh, Kim Robinson is her married name. Uh, sorry, it's her parents' name, but her mother is Tony Robinson, who was born Tony Brecknock. So immediately I know, holy shit, I'm a Brecknock. Mm-hmm. And so back to Untethered Soul, like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Well, my answer today is I am me. But um, yeah, so I'm a Brecknock. And what does that mean? Well, it means the Grant family for the last 31 years, John Grant, not my dad. Rose, Candace, Sharon, John Boy, not my siblings. I've gained three new siblings. So now I say I have six sisters and five brothers. Rose is still my sister. John is still my dad. Ralph is my dad. And Donald Brecknock is my dad. So on Father's Day, I pay a tribute to my three dads. Mm -hmm. And and, um, so it's my aunt Susan Brecknock, who just recently died as I'm reading Untethered Soul. Death is my teacher. And a hard death to go through because... Um, I only had a year and a half, a little, little more than a year and a half with her, mm. but a blessing because she was there and I was here and we had an opportunity to share some words. And just like Rose said, would you write a letter for Tracy? History repeats itself. Instead of a letter, I sent her a video and I just, cause I couldn't make the flight. Mm. Um, so I just said, Hey, I love you. Um, if you wouldn't mind, keep an eye on me. Mm. And I swear to God of all things, holy Allah, God, Buddha, you know, Thor, Odin. <laughs> Two days after her death, she's standing in my door, and she's just smiling, and she's wearing these white trousers and this beautiful blue sleeveless uh, top, right? Mm. And she's smiling in her beautiful bright eyes, and it's just like, like I realized she wasn't standing there like this bottle of scotch is sitting between us, but I could see her. Mm. And I just, I just felt at peace. And... She, it was just crazy. She, um, 75 years old, had a random stroke, uh, recovered incredibly quickly. This was December 6th. Mm-hmm. Week and a half later, additional results show up. She's got stage four bone cancer, moves into hospice, and dies January 2nd. Wow. So quick. From the time of her stroke, January, December 6th to January 2nd mm-hmm. this year, like fast. Amazing. That's, so, yeah, it's good that you got to have that time with her. Yeah, and to circle back, it was Aunt Sue that told me, you know, we'll never under. So my mother always said I, she got pregnant. She was at a party, and I thought oh, that's kind of cool. I've been, I'm a result of a hookup in the back of a Camaro, right? Mm-hmm. 1969. <laughs> and um, she was single, living with her. Uh, she had a boyfriend, but she was single-ish, right? Living with her father. My aunt says to me at the reunion, she says, "We'll never under know where Kathy left." Her and Don were engaged. She was pregnant. Um, they were, you know, they they had their place together. Like, and like, wait a minute, my mom's story, Aunt Sue's story, and Sue knows nothing, and my mom. So I've come to the realization that my mother knowingly and purposely introduced me to the wrong man. Why? Don't know. Don't need to know. Is your mom still around? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she is. So. Um, I did reach out and send her an email. Hey, I just received my ancestry DNA results. Yeah. What the fuck? What the fuck? I said, you know, the the results would say that I am a Brecknock. There are three. uh, Slim. I mean, how cool is Slim Brecknock? Slim, John, and Don. Anything you'd like to disclose? Mm -hmm. Now, I was pretty certain I was a Donald Brecknock son, Mm -hmm. but I just left it at that. And she responded with with a story that has since changed a couple times mm-hmm. in email communication. I actually haven't spoken to her in 11 years. Okay. Uh, and we'll just say boundaries, right? Yeah. There's some, her behavior required me, my family, like my wife is my number one in my life. Yeah. 
and there were some behaviors that required boundaries. And so, yeah, it's been 11 years. And that's not easy to lock out a mother. But, totally. But I've, that's what I've done yeah. to protect my very best friend, my kids, yeah. me, yeah. from behaviors that are not supportive, that are, that are quite frankly, damaging and traumatic and toxic. And yeah. yeah. And as you said, you want trauma to end with you. So trauma, naturally, yeah. you're going to be protective of who yeah. you allow in the circle. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, were you religious growing up? What was your relationship with death as a as a child? Was, did it cross your mind? Did not really. I was at a cadet camp, and we had this thing called church parade. Yeah. So we all go outside, and they say, "Okay, Catholics over here, Protestants over there." And I said, "What's a Catholic?" <laughs> <laughs> and they go, "You would be a Protestant over there, private." So this was in this was in Penhold, Alberta. It was a air cadet camp. So it was basically imagine youth group for church. Yeah. That's what it was. And we just kind of hung out and chilled. And it was just to kind of take the stress off the camp. Okay. So when I got home, I went to my grandmother and I said, you know, because my grandmother went to a Lutheran church. So I said, can I go to church with you? And she's like, yes. <laughs> so I started going to church from 12 years on. And I left that church. I left the Lutheran church at 23 after my deployment from Somalia. Okay. Uh, in my own eyes, just far too much hypocrisy and shit that didn't add up. So I was like, nah, you know what? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore and standing in a garage makes you a car. Exactly. So I'm yeah. out. Yeah. And it's only recently that I've, I go to friend's church today for lots mm. of different reasons. But okay. uh, So death. So I'm 18 I know, or 19. I know I'm going to the army. And I, because, you know, we're, we're drilled and grilled in church. Thou shall not kill. It's mm-hmm. one of the commandments. Mm-hmm. And I was joining the military to be infantry, airborne infantry. And if ever deployed, a highly probable oper- you know, probability of using my firearms. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, how do I reconcile this? Like, is this a one-way ticket to hell? Because by this point, I believe in what the Lutheran doctrine says so much that I feel my soul is at risk. Yeah. But I still, how do I reconcile my desire to join the military and protect totally. those yeah. who can't protect themselves mm-hmm. and, you know, face this this uh, commandment of thou shall not kill. And he was great. He just said, you know, even in the Bible, war is justified. Mm-hmm. And that's all he said. And I was like, good. Yeah. Bring Enough. it. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, I'm thinking of, I had an existential crisis <laughs> when I was uh, in my early 20s. And I write about it in, in my book that I published a few years ago. Um, but because I was raised Mormon. Okay. So very religious growing up mm-hmm. and, and very similar in the way that you described, uh, like the confusion and turmoil of, well, this is the way that I'm told I need to behave, yet the world or my passion or what I want, what I desire, is yeah. it gets really, really complex. And, and I had a lot of issues from an early age, asking questions, pushing back on, on everything, like right. why? Why is it this way? What does this mean? And it made a lot of people really uncomfortable. And uh, and so I, I, the church never really sat well for me because of that. And it was when my, my dad left the church when I was 16. Okay. And that kind of gave us full permission, not only full permission, but he encouraged. Right. Like, you guys don't go anymore either. Uh, and so I was mm. just like, finally. And I right. stepped out and I, I didn't think that I, I just thought that I was done with it. Mm. But I had spent... 16 years of my life indoctrinated. indoctrinated exactly and i didn't realize how deep that went back to michael singer on yeah. that pendulum right yes so let's just say mormon theology is far left not 
politically, but just from a perspective of a pendulum, it's way on the far left. Mm-hmm. How far right did you swing? Oh, I um, I swung far, <laughs> <laughs> very far. Yes, and and proudly, so that you could find middle. Completely, and yeah. now recognizing in hindsight, exactly like yeah. I was a proud atheist. Without, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. It's like, right. yeah, I'm done with it. I'm not religious whatsoever. And yeah. then I started learning about agnostic, and so I was like, well, you know, yeah. I don't need to decide either way. I just am more comfortable with not knowing, and really explored every possibility of how I could have a new relationship with religion or spirit or, but it was just a really confusing time for me. I, I just kept pushing religion away. Right. But then it was a moment um, I was smoking weed with someone and we were talking about life after death. And I started going into this story of mm. uh, when I die, I'm for sure gonna come back and haunt people. And I was, you know, <laughs> just being facetious, but it was coming from a place of it's possible. Yeah. And, and this person I was with said, knowing what I was going through and who I was, said, well, that's actually kind of a religious thing to say. Wow. And it was a moment of like, holy shit. It was these two, more than two, competing beliefs suddenly collided. I could see yeah. them for the first time. Yeah. I, I had this deep belief that there is heaven that there's yeah. life after death and that yeah. it was still this picture of what was <clears throat> planted in my brain. That's, that's what yeah. I was thinking about. And I also was aware of, but I don't believe that. Yeah. And so the ground ripped out from underneath my feet and I became dizzy and sick to my stomach and I was convulsing and crying. And, and the reason why I'm sharing this story is because when I, um, I was, I've been with the same partner for 13 years and this was near the beginning of our relationship. Like I, the things he's, been through with me. This was one of them. So I run to the bedroom and I collapse in the bed and I'm shaking and crying and he comes down and just lays down and just holds me and doesn't try to fix it. Doesn't yeah. just, it just is there with me. And sounds like an awesome dude. Oh, he's amazing dude. Yeah. yeah. He, and so what he said to shout out to a uh, shout out to amazing dudes yeah. out there or amazing ladies who hold space for their partner. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. goes both ways. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's such a skill, man. So without, so he didn't say anything, but I, I eventually, turned to him and I said, how, something along the lines of like, how can you function while knowing that you're gonna die? Mm. Like what, cause it was in this moment where suddenly I was, I was terrified of death. That's what the shaking was. Suddenly it was like, that could kill me, that could kill me. And when oh. I die, there's nothing. And I was, I was freaking out about it because it was, what does that mean? What does that mean? And you know, I was losing myself entirely. And so when I asked him that, like, how do you function while knowing you're gonna die? And he said, well, I guess I just never thought anything different. Yeah. And to him, it was just like, that's just the way it is. Well, prior to that reality, death had a meaning yeah. and, and something thereafter. There was comfort in it somehow. Right. And yeah. now that's been removed. And now there's uncertainty. The brain doesn't like uncertainty. Exactly. Yeah. And so it just flipped the fuck out. Wow. Yeah, I didn't leave my apartment for three days. I was I was sick to my stomach. I couldn't sure, eat. Sure. I remember the first time I went for a walk yeah. after those three days, and it was like I was. Uh, it's like a reborn moment. Yeah. Everything I, it was more crisp. There was more color. That's I was cool. just more present. That's really cool. Oh, it's beautiful now looking back on it and the conversations that have stemmed from it, and and now now I think about death every single day. Yeah. And it makes me like what you said in the beginning of our conversation, like this could be it. Yeah. And, so and what that, am I going to do with it? It's, I don't find it morbid. I don't find it. Yeah. I'm not asking for death. I have every intention to live to a, 
beyond 100, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I make plans for things beyond 100. But at the same, in the same breath, not knowing whatever's after, I, I don't have to know. I've got to that spot. Yeah. And in Singer's book, he, he's talking about this yogi who's walking around with as if a, a sword suspended in a spider web above his head mm. may fall at any moment. Or this other part where the, you know, death comes to take the life and the person says, whoa, not yet, give me another week. What do you mean another week? You've just had 52. And what about all the other years before that? What have you done with those? And, and so if, I guess if we're just waking up and sucking air, then death could be really scary because yeah. I, didn't, I didn't give today the, the credit it deserves. I wasn't present with those around me. I just sort of rushed through the day. Mm. And it's not that I don't do that sometimes, but I take it, so my son's 10 and he loves to write comic books. And they're, they're about SpongeBob SquarePants or Mr. Dog and they're, they all involve toilets and poop of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm just sitting there and he loves to have his back scratched. So he's laying in bed. It's bedtime. I'm scratching his back. He's reading a comic and I'm listening. I'm with him, right? I'm present. Mm-hmm. My daughter, she's 12. They go over there. Her thing's jujitsu. She's, you know, she's quite the little fierce lady. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's talking about relationships at school and how they're, you know, frustrating. I mean, like all teenage relationships, full of drama. So we talk about what drama is and how do we diffuse drama and stuff like that. You know, what, what do, you know there's a particular person at school that's quite mean, my daughter would say. And I said, well, what do you think's missing in that person's life? Mm. If they're mean, what's missing? And I've spoken them to enough to know we either feel pain or we cause pain. Yeah. We just deflect. If we don't feel it and feel through it, then we deflect it. So mm. she's... Okay, so she's mean because she's experiencing pain, but she's not dealing with it. Okay, what do you think's missing then? And she just says love. Mm. Yeah, from somebody. Somebody in her life is causing her pain, not love, or masking love through pain, or masking pain as love. Anyways, uh, so, but back to death. I kissed my I kissed my wife this morning on the way out of the house. It's five, six o'clock. I'm on my way to a meeting, seven a.m. So my wife's asleep. I give her a little kiss. I said goodnight to the kids. They don't need to be up yet because if I kiss them, they will wake up. So I just let them be. But but um, yeah, every day if if everyone's awake, we don't leave the house without giving each other a goodbye, a love you, and a kiss. Mm-hmm. And when we come back to the house, it's hello, I love you, yeah. um, and hugs and kisses. Yeah. Uh, my my sister Candace, who had died in that canoeing accident, I can't recall the last time I spoke to her, and and I can't recall if I said I love you, mm. or if I hugged her. I probably did hug her, because I the last time I saw her was at her apartment in Vancouver, but I don't remember saying I love you. Like mm. I just took tomorrow for granted. Yeah. So if tomorrow doesn't come, and we assume it does, does do we as a race? Do we do we as people? Do we give ourselves permission to be assholes. Mm. I don't care if I'm in a fight with my colleague, fuck them. Mm. He's an asshole. Cuz you know, I can you know, I can I can afford to be a dick right now and I'll make up to the, I I'll make up to him or her tomorrow. Well, wouldn't be the first time someone died on their way home, right. completely unplanned, yep. you know. And death is not in our control for the most part. Yeah, if I'm smoking Lots of cigarettes and eating Tim Hortons donuts every day. I'm going to yeah. contribute to a shorter life. We can speed it up. We can yeah. speed it up. Yeah. But 
for the most part. Um, and no one wakes up and says, I hope today I get smoked by a moose on the highway. <laughs> but people die all the time from moose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Black ice. Um, random shooting. People yeah. have been killed just be, not because they're involved in the shooting. They were just a random consequence yeah. of the shooting. Just poor timing. Yeah. yeah. So um, mm. I would rather have a fight and say I love you. I'll talk to you later. Give her a kiss. My wife. And then, uh, and die, than to be passive aggressive and yes. say, "You're such a bitch," right. which I've never said to my wife. <laughs> the, the lessons it's not of, to her face. <laughs> the lessons of two failed marriages prior. I was the common denominator. Um, I definitely acknowledged that I flipped her the bird behind her back, <laughs> but never to her face and uh, never with words. So, yeah. Do you talk to your kids about death? Is that something that comes up occasionally? Or? Uh, yeah, we actually do. Yeah. Um, we say everybody dies. Mm-hmm. And when my, when my aunt had died, my kids were in that video too. So they knew. Yeah. Like, we yeah. talked to our kids. Like, here's what happened to Auntie Sue. And this is why we're making the movie. Uh, uh, it's two minutes on, you know, we just made a video, two-minute video, and we yeah. emailed it over. So I said, you know, you can, you can talk about anything you want, but talk about your relationship with Auntie Sue and Hudson, <laughs> my son, it doesn't have to include the word poop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And someone said, well, even if it did, Auntie Sue would laugh. She probably would. <laughs> but uh, Speaking from my heart, Dad. <laughs> yeah, Dad. You're crapping my style. So, yeah, um, death is not a, it's not an un... It's not taboo. Anymore. It's not, nothing in my house is taboo. Yeah. Nothing. Good. Yeah, no subject. Mm. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like a, there was a turning point in your life when it when it comes to like who you are now the life that you've created you you're a successful entrepreneur you wake up every day and you create the life that you you want was that is that like just something that's been within you for a long time or was there a was it from being in the military and and being surrounded by life and death or your marriages or your kids what what was it that really got you into the place to have the courage and the energy to do what you're oh, doing. Oh, man. This podcast isn't long enough. <laughs> so the, the easy answer is the death part. Yeah. I'm deployed. It's Smalley. I'm 23. It's 1993. And my section, so I'm in a unit called 2 Commando, which is a, a, a subunit within the Canadian Airborne Regiment. And within 2 Commando is, is three different platoons uh, plus a headquarters platoon. And my platoon is six, six platoon. And within six platoon, I'm in, I'm in two sections. So two, three, bravo. Okay. Sorry, I'm on three section. Two, two commando, three, three section. Mm-hmm. And um, I just screwed that up. But anyways, it doesn't matter. Super, <laughs> super not relevant. I wouldn't know. Like, yes, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> so two, three, bravo is my call sign for, my, for the eight of us. And we're, t- and we're said, uh, at this time in Somalia, we're in this town called Belladwayne. And um, I ju- this is my OCD kicking. Two means two commando. Okay. Three means six platoon. And um, Bravo, two, three Bravo means two section. So two, three Charlie okay. would be three section. I see. Two, yep. three Alpha, one section. Mm-hmm. So Thanks for clearing that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for all the... You can move it on. This is, this, on is, this, is, this is insecurity coming out <laughs> in real life mm-hmm. because if there was ever an army dude, army lady listening to this podcast... Mm-hmm. 
for sure they're gonna call me out. They're gonna send an email and say, Vince, you're a fraud. <laughs> you don't know what you're you talking don't know about. Shit. <laughs> so we're told, uh, so Somalia is a giant shit show. Mm-hmm. Adid takes over the country. Um, his henchmen do everything. Black Hawk Down is not far from the truth at all. So based on a true story, mm-hmm. and and there is no famine created by nature. It's created purely by man. And so in our area of operation, Bella Duane, which is pretty much three hours straight north of Mogadishu on the Ethiopian-Somalia border, uh, relief supplies comes in and it gets distributed to all the NGOs. So the Red Cross is, is taking stuff out into the countryside along the river valley for people like engine parts and fuel and fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So we're tasked, 2-3 Bravo, my section, we're tasked to provide security for the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. And we're told by the Red Cross, we get hit all the time and they steal from us. And so what's the point of resupplying these, these farmers if we're going to get rolled by Somali insurgents? Mm. Technicals is what they were called at the time. So we're like, okay, that's us. We're, uh, we're, we've accepted this task. This is our mission. We do the preparations for it. And we head out. And so just prior to leaving, I wrote a letter to my mother. And it was just like you would imagine. Dear mom, if you're reading this, I am gone. Mm-hmm. And it was probably a couple pages. And it was just, I just disclosed all the love mm. and gratitude that I ever had in my life for her, mm. the other people in my life, and if she would, base, you know, on my behalf, if she would say this to them and this to them and so on. Mm. And I was, I remember, I can still remember today just writing that letter with, with this uncertain peace. We'll be okay, and if we get in trouble and if bad things happen, that's, this is the job I signed up for. So it, it sounds noble, but there was definitely some unease in that. Sounds like a knight in shining armor. It was more like a really dirty soldier with no horses and a Toyota pickup. <laughs> <laughs> and so the two vehicles, the uh, the Red Cross plus us, we headed out into the into the countryside. And we came we came back the next day, and I'd given this letter to a guy, one of my colleagues, Simon Odebashin. And so when I came back, I said, "You still have the letter?" And he goes, "Yeah." I said, "Give it back to me." And I tore it up in pieces and said, we won't be doing that again. Mm. <laughs> um, so that was the very first time I thought, okay, what if I don't return from this? And, and your response was a heart open gratitude love fest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I was really confident with my teammates. Yeah. Um, we were very well trained. We were the best of the best at the time. So, I mean, I, I was also 23. The part of the brain that deals with consequence is not fully developed. So, Kidding, yeah. so I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to live forever. Yeah. Uh, so death is much more prevalent now, now that I'm older, I've, I've lost friends in, in deployments, uh, one to a suicide bomber, one to a sniper, one, um, to just a good old fashioned gunfight. Mm. And, um, another one was killed. I've got lots of friends killed overseas and even domestically on an exercise in Suffield, just outside of Lethbridge, uh, Medicine oh. Hat, oh. where he, so I was 22, had just yet gone to the Airborne Regiment, we were doing this, what's called fighting in built-up areas. Mm-hmm. We call that fibula training, fighting in built-up areas. So his name is Rick Wheeler, Master Corporal. He's using this one particular building as a, as a space to hide and take um, shots on the, on the enemy. And we're using MILES gear. MILES is uh, M-I-L-E-S. It's an acronym for laser. It's basically laser tag. So he's taking really well-aimed shots from behind this house and an armored vehicle driving hatches down, meaning there's no one poking their head up outside of this armored vehicle. Everyone's inside. All the, all the doors are closed. Yeah. 
and they just the driver has three periscopes, one right in front of his eyes and one sort of at 10 o'clock and, and 2 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And that's all this driver has for navigation. And, and um, so he hides behind the same house that Rick is, not knowing Rick's there. Mm. And he drives over Rick, oh right God. over his whole upper body. Whoa. Rick lives for a little while. Whoa. Um, doesn't die immediately. So it went over his midsection. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were you there? No, uh, I, I was at, sorry, I was, I was there, but not on, not site, on site that day. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. That's and there's other training accidents too that have I'm happened sure. yeah. where people uh, just, you know, it's part of training for war is yeah. we push the envelope and yeah, it's risky things, bad things happen. Day. So. So when it, it comes, how long were you in the military? You went at what, 22? Went at 19, oh, 19, left at 26, so seven okay. years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what was the recovery like after that? Actually, I, I, I'm trying to steer away from the word recover. This is one of my new things. Recover, when you look at it, it's, well, let's re, let's cover. Let's recover up what just was exposed. Uh, so this is more good. of a discovery, yeah. exploration, healing. Obviously, there's a, a lot that's going on. And, and what I've heard from many people in the military is when you're there, it's just like, well, game on. Yeah. Do what you need to do. Yeah. Push things aside. Yeah. Uh, and then when you come home, that's w- when it's like, holy shit. W- what was that like for you? Coming home was problematic. Yeah. Uh, the challenge with the Somalia deployment, which is similar but different to deployments like Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, we get... Um, poked at, rocks thrown, sticks thrown, obviously lots of mean words, but uh, you know people throw rocks at us and they'll use those David and Goliath slingshots. Mm. You can visualize that. Yeah. And they're whipping rocks from 200 meters away. Disgusting. And we're not allowed to shoot them. Yeah. So uh, one day we had this young lady, she stood in the middle of us and she was whipping rocks back at them, which was incredibly brave. She took a rock right in the forehead. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we encouraged her to come to us and we put some first aid to her and Got her to a, um, got her some health care for that. Uh, but we we're co- we we're just constantly probed and irritated by them, and no no gunfights for the most part. Uh, so when you're under that kind of hypervigilance twenty four seven, the only time you're not thinking about it is when you're asleep, and when you are asleep, you're still thinking about totally. it. Totally, yeah. Because we're on a drug, uh, an anti malaria pill called methoquin, which is in the news right now, big time. There's a big class action lawsuit against the military and federal government for not disclosing, it's not that the drug, like the manufacturer totally dis- disclosed the psychological side effects of this drug yeah. for anti-malaria. The military did not disclose it. So we were the first humans in Canada to use this stuff. Mm. And you, I've never had nightmares like I had with this drug, methoquin. Wow. I mean, the good news is I don't have malaria, but I, <laughs> and you know, for the, what it does is it amplifies, if, if a person's, it amplifies their psychological disposition. Okay. Yeah. So if you're an asshole, it's going to amplify that asshole behavior. Mm. If you're, if you're super chill, yeah, like it just, you, you're going to be paranoid and everything else like that, like the rest of us. But yeah. So oh. it, so people have some pretty, everybody, or even my, when I was on my positive psych course, my instructor had been, my teacher had been to someplace in Africa and he was on methoquin as well. I said, how are the dreams? He goes, you know about those dreams? Oh. So, oh, okay. Uh, so to be that hypervigilant for six months takes a toll on anybody's nervous system. Yeah. And I just blew it off like everybody else. Cause in the military, we have a model. 
if uh, you know, reach if something bothers you, reach down, squeeze your nuts, and soldier on. Mm. You know, to to complain wow. is to be weak. Yeah. Right? Wow. And we did not have then what we have today around mental health yeah. for our returning soldiers. Yeah. Like we got on a plane in Mogadishu and whatever many hours, it was a direct flight to first to Greece for refueling and then right to Ottawa. Right. And that's it. <laughs> like no reacclimatizing, <coughs> no like no sessions. <laughs> no, in fact, we spent, we called it a, a, a redeployment. Um, a DAG is called a deployment assistance group, how you get out of country. Yeah. And then when you come home, I think it's called a RAG, redeployment assistance group. I don't know. But anyways, they run you through the system. You feel good. Okay, sign here. Yeah. Everything's fine. Sign here. Yeah. And then they gave us seven weeks, seven weeks leave. Okay. I mean, that's like that's letting a wild dog loose in yes. downtown. Yes. What do I do now? So wow. that a lot of guys got in shit. Yeah. <laughs> because oh, I, can't imagine. I mean, just 24 hours later, we were in, in Mogadishu. <laughs> and shortly after that was Black Hawk Down. Like Mogadishu was a, yeah. It's not a, it's not a park. It's not a playground. Yeah. Wow. But the thing with post-traumatic stress is it doesn't show up the next day. Right. Um, uh, in 2006, I'm putting socks on, getting ready to go to work, watching CTV because that's what I did. I thought it was cool to have a TV in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? It's awesome. <laughs> watch movies. Uh, they talk about um, they talk about. F- Frank Gomez getting killed in Afghanistan. It was a f- friend of mine when I was in the military. He was killed by a suicide bomber. Mm. Same year, shortly after, another one. Uh, doing the exact same thing, putting socks on in my room, mm. watching the news while I get dressed. It was Vaughn Ingram got killed in Afghanistan in a huge, huge gunfight. Two years later, pretty much the same situation. Only I'm, I'm, I'm actually at work at the time, and I get an email from a friend's. My friend is in Afghanistan. He's emailed his wife. She's emailed me. So I don't hear about it on the news. Mm-hmm. So it's within 24 hours of Mike's ke- death, and I'm finding out that he's been killed in Afghanistan in a big gunfight. And so the mm-hmm. the biggest thing is the survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if I was there, I would have been the second set of eyes. Could have helped. Those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's really common. Yeah. Uh, any kind of therapy was me speaking at Remembrance Day at different high schools, mm-hmm. which. I only learned maybe three years ago that the opportunity to speak at high schools was actually therapeutic and helpful, but it, w- it opened up Pandora's box. It went to some dark places. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So in the moment, you didn't recognize it as therapy going and speaking in the, these schools? No, I, I recognize it as an opportunity to lecture kids for not wearing a poppy. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor kids. Yeah. It's, it's, it's much less angry. I was at Lord Beaverbrook last November. Yeah. So it's much less angry, but you know, I talk about how do we honor death of others. Wow. Yeah. If they're dead, I'm alive. Let's make the best of my life, share their story, so that their life, their their death is not in vain. Right. Yeah. And not even coming back to the tethers, that's what comes up for me is even just putting the poppy on. It's it's acknowledging the tethers of everyone who yeah. fought for the freedom that we have. And the worst part is when it gets political and people argue over there's a white poppy because the red poppy apparently glorifies war mm. there's a rainbow poppy and i don't know what that has to do with you know the lgbtq group but yeah. as a veteran we don't need a 
gay, straight, who cares if you were, if you were in the military, you wore your country. Yeah. 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 Poppies is a flower that grew in Flanders field. They don't grow rainbow poppies that, you know, they, that's just not a thing. Right. We don't need to be gay or straight to recognize fallen soldiers. Mm -hmm. Just, we just stop. It's to human. It's human to believe. It's human to recognize. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a sexuality issue. It's a human issue. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So those things kind of irritate me every now and then. Yeah, yeah, I can you feel know. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, straighten out the back. There we go. Yeah, posture. Have a sip uh, of Glenrothes. There we go. So other than um, scotch and whiskey and um, speaking at high schools to share stories and, you know, speak about relationship with death, um, have you tried any, any other... Uh, not even holistic, but different types of therapeutic therapies other than, you know, talk therapy, like psychedelics or uh, anything in that realm? Yes and no. I am, I never tried cannabis ever because okay. growing up in the church right. with police friends. It's a no-go. No-go. Mm -hmm. And I'm a church boy, so let's do the right thing. Mm. I went the opposite way. You um, say no, I say yes. Have all the sex I wanted, but didn't touch the drugs because nowhere in the Bible did it say I can't have sex. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't do any drugs other than once a few years ago. I mean, a few uh, before I met my wife, I tried mushrooms once with a friend and loved it. Yeah. But I mean, I'm 240 pounds, and after a half an hour, I didn't feel anything, so I ate the rest of the bag. <laughs> I felt a lot after that. I bet you did. So, yeah. um, me and my friend Gilbert, who is my rugby ball, we were best friends, and I was amazed by how good my gum tasted and how smooth her face was as I rubbed my face against her, like the cheeks of our face. <laughs> Your cheeks are so smooth, and this gum is so refreshing. Uh, so that was my one and only experience, but it was, the intent was because I, I liked my friend. My friend, you know, we were friends, and I wanted to hang out with my friend. Yeah. Uh, once marijuana, once cannabis came legal, I don't know exactly when, but probably late summer last year, mm -hmm. I tried it for the first time, like a first, um, I don't even know how to use the language. I smoked a joint. Yep. There you go. And I hated it. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, it doesn't taste good. It doesn't smell good. It hurts my throat, hurts my stomach. I feel sick. So I wasn't interested in doing it again. Yeah. And then tried it one more time. Cause Hey, maybe, you know. If you didn't like it, you tried it on the wrong day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just like whiskey. I was just going to say, yeah. Uh, so th out of three pr tries, still nothing, right? Like, I just, it just, I, and I remember losing gaps of time. I was mm -hmm. trying to watch, it was during the Rugby World Cup, mm -hmm. and I was like, I would rewind the game because I'm, what happened? When did England get the ball? <laughs> <laughs> and so each time it was always smoking it? It was. The last like... couple times was through this little machine. Yeah. And, but, yeah. I, I've had people try to coach me on it now. and like, so. What, but what I am interested in, so Tom Bilyeu, uh, he has Impact Theory podcast. Yeah. He had a neurosurgeon on there. Mm. And this neurosurgeon, they talked a lot of things, but the neurosurgeon was talking about psychedelics being microdosed under the supervision of healthcare. And, you know, their, their, the results with uh, PTSD, yes. with this, with this, with this, with this. And Tom asked a really important question that I, that, a question that caught me. He says, we think's doing in the brain is it turning something on or off? And the neurosurgeon said, "Off." What do you mean? It's telling the boss in the brain to fuck off. Mm -hmm. And oh uh, wow, 
I am super interested in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that plays into the narrative about that, you know, that enslaves me at times and self-doubt and uncertainty yeah. and worthiness and am I enough? Yeah, to shut that off. I was just talking about it this morning, so it's like awesome conversation. Um, yeah, so it's in Canada, I'm maybe more in the United States than Canada. There's a lot of push now to to use MDMA, MDMA yeah. with um, post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. veterans and, mm-hmm. and other people. Yeah. All, and there was another podcast that Billy was on with a friend of his, and the guy had done MDMA with a registered nurse who on her side hustle was helping people work through trauma. Mm-hmm. And so this was all cloak and dagger, yeah. but he was like, I've never felt better. Yeah. So I'm all in. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's, it's worthy of exploration. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, I would. I'm not too familiar with what's actually available in Calgary or in Alberta or Canada in general, um, other than yeah, listening to podcasts and hearing yeah. what people have to say. But it's definitely promising. I've done my fair share of microdosing and the occasional macrodose of a few different things, sure. and um, and even for me, with you know, a turning point for me was actually when I had MDMA for the first time. Okay. And it was, it was just like a fun weekend, like, yeah, I'll give it a try. You know, I'm in a different city. We're just here having fun. And I <laughs> I think I worried people like all weekend. I was like, more. <laughs> I just didn't want to stop. Right. Um, but my experience in it was freedom. I It was the first time that I could yeah. remember ever not being a slave to the mental loop that right. I was so stuck in yeah and I just felt pure joy I wanted to connect with people I wasn't pulling away I just was so in the moment and and I remember when we were driving home um my husband was saying like you know usually after not only having it once but doing it all weekend there's going to be like quite a a far down after of your body kind of reacclimatizing and and I in at least in that experience there was no down for me Mm. because the epiphanies I had that weekend were so profound that I, I, it changed everything for me. Suddenly I, I, I remember had, I had this moment of, okay, I have felt this good before. This is not actually that unfamiliar when I'm eating well and sleeping right. well and when I'm excited about something and creating something and, you know, go just going through the checklist of all these basic needs of when I'm taking care of myself, this is actually how I feel. Yeah. And so it didn't become this moment of, oh, I need this drug now. Instead, it got me that much more passionate and excited about changing the way that I show up every single day so that I could create this natural high. That's really interesting to me. Uh, a really good friend of mine was very black and red about drugs. Mm-hmm. Drugs are bad, mm-hmm. period. So kind of like the whole thou shall not kill piece, right? Yeah. Okay, I like to eat meat. In order to eat meat, we got to kill something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's okay. Okay, what about war? Yeah, going to kill people in war. Okay, but that's okay too, because even in the Bible, God justifies. Mm-hmm. Okay, what about police? Because they they're in a position where they're forced to kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's oh, so it's no longer black and white anymore, is right. it? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we've had to build boundaries around when is it right and when is it wrong, right. and where are some gray areas. So taking that mental model onto drugs. Onto drugs. So this person is saying drugs are bad. Okay, um, tell me more. Oh, you do it once, you're a junkie. My friend says. Okay, that's interesting because you were in the hospital and you had three hits of morphine and that's the best 
you know, that's the best heroin on the street. You're not a junkie. Like it doesn't, it's not once, one and done. Like, yeah, but that's different. It's in, it's under the, okay, so come to this, back to this microdosing discussion, whether the fears are worthiness and am I enough or death is scary and, you know, how do I cope, blah, blah, blah. Um, under the right circumstances, under the right dosage, supervision. And just like Singer says in his book, it's the extremes. Eat all day, every day. I'm going to just be a glutton and, yes. and bloat out. Yeah. Not eat. On the other extreme, I'm going to die of malnutrition. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in the middle, there's this healthy balance of, of food. Yeah. Well, somewhere in the far left is drug, 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 drug. Yeah, we end up using hard all the time and hopefully get free or we die. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, a person could be walking around life with this big boat anchor in their mental narrative and never be who they were meant to be, never live their best life, never fully show up. Yeah, and expand. Right? Yeah. So somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. there is, and, and I love Shakespeare when he says, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Yes. Yes. Yes, so true. Yeah. You know, I love experiment. Uh, I love exploring how something became bad in the first place. Yeah. Right? Like, and often, certainly around subjects around death and sex, um, sexuality, a lot of it is influenced by the big box organized religion. Mm-hmm. And even if the person's never been inside of a church, that person still in Western culture, every person, whether they've been to church or not, knows the Ten Commandments. They know of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because it's right. quoted. It's quoted in movies and TV shows mm-hmm. and friends at school and work. Yeah, we can't really escape it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I love to look at adulthood as this is the opportunity to reparent ourselves. And it's it's never about blaming or victimizing ever, you know, because as soon as you place that on someone else and then you get up close and you look at them and you recognize, oh, and you had your trauma too. And you had this kind of history that set you up to be the way that you are. So it's not about deflecting ever for me. It's, It's really about honoring the journey of what it took to get to this moment and everything that happened up to this moment was is an opportunity to reflect on and to learn from and and to be able to reparent every single day every time yeah. something comes up for me that I can tell like oh that's just so limiting i just that becomes great that's now that's at the surface i can take a look at it i can engage in inquiry i can reflect i can be with it otherwise i'm just going to cover it up shove it back down and then it's going to continue being a part of my operating system. Correct. Agreed. Right? So it's it, it's beautiful when it comes to the surface. It's so uncomfortable, but it's so beautiful. Yeah. You know, Sean, we're on the Sean Freeman Street. <laughs> literally, there's a road sign outside yeah. the door here. Yeah. It says, I think it says we're TWT Street. There. But he posted on Facebook a couple days ago, I think it said you only get one life to live. Something to that extent. Mm. Right. So and I commented back, well, if you're Sikh, you get more because I have a really good friend who's Sikh. Mm. But even in saying that, my friend Jeevan still makes the best out of every day. And the, you know, if everyone were to realize that and remember death comes for all of us, you know, we may or may not have some, we have some influence on when, but things outside of our control, you know, uh, cross the street, get hit by a car, bus, whatever. Those are all, you know, unexpected. Uh, we only have one life. And if we were to wake up every day and say, tomorrow's not guaranteed, today is, 
<laughs> at least for at this moment in time, because I yeah. just woke up. How do I want this conversation to be? You know, I'm going to meet Marin and do a podcast. I'm going to talk to Russ. I'm going to talk to, you know, talk to Quan. These are just some of the people I spoke to today, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I want to be present, Julian, right? How do I want this conversation to be? I want to be present. I want to be in the moment. Because what if this was the very last time? And I don't think we have to dwell on death. We just, dwell, how about we are dwelling on the gift of today? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think that's a really important po- point that the dwelling, whatever we yeah. focus on, we're going we're gonna to amplify it. And we also yeah. don't, back to that balance piece, the extremes, you avoid it entirely or you dwell on it. It's going to have actually a similar effect. It's so extreme. So that in a really long way comes back to your question about designing. Yeah. So this is how I design my life now is yeah. money's a game. Do I have all the money I want? No. Um, can I retire today? Nope. Don't care because I'm going to live to 150. Mm. No, maybe 110. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, be realistic. I'm going for 110. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of, Michael, was it Michael Douglas's dad? Kurt Douglas just died yesterday, 103. Oh, what? Yeah, 103. Oh, wow. I am Spartacus, 103. And... And so, yeah, so every day is by design to some extent, mm-hmm. as well as like, I will have a funeral and a celebration. I think it's important to sad, be sad and mourn and, mm-hmm. and just kind of let go. And um, I would want to do that. And then at the same time, when that part's over, those who want to stay for the party, all the scotch that is no longer um, being consumed by me, <laughs> yeah. and there's more than enough for the next six years, uh, <laughs> let's, let's have some fun. You know, yeah. like have a scotch. And if you like that bottle and it's still left at the end of the night, go home with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just be surrounded by people who, who knew me, who loved me. And, and I've thought a number of times, you know, what would people say? And then I think, okay, if, if that's what they're saying about me, I want to honor, you know, I, I want to honor that. I want to live that person. Mm-hmm. And I'm still living for me. I'm not living for them. Mm-hmm. But so that's, I've written out what people may or may not say on uh, if I was to die this yeah. week and what they would say next week, you know? As a way to hold yourself accountable to that? Like, yeah. yeah. Little, you know, uh, Matthew McConaughey did this. Uh, he was receiving an award or something, but he talked about who his hero is. Mm-hmm. And I think he acknowledges his mother. And he, he says, it's me five years from now. Mm-hmm. You know, who, you know who, who is that person? And every year, that me five years from now is, of course, another year out. Right. Yeah. But he has this this um, discipline to recognize, you know. So who's Vince five years from now? I'll be fifty five. I'm going to be, you know, my cause will be this, and I care about that, and you know, these, you know, this is where my, you know, this is the kind of parent I am. This is the kind of husband I am. The friend I am. The coach I am. The consultant I am. On and on and on. Um. I mean, no one's going to paint themselves as a douche, <laughs> a big ass hat. So. Okay, let's assume I do the best I can with the tools I have. What am I like? So why not live that life? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's all because death is real and I respect it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, let's make the best of today. Yeah. Sadly, I have, I feel like I have to rush through my scotches because they have too many. I have a lot more unopened than opened. <laughs> I have about yeah. 20 bottles opened. There's some bottles I can't wait to try. Yeah. But I think, it, okay, 21 is open, 23 is open, 30 are open. Now we're going to invite friends over. Maybe that's the answer. But yeah, there you go. There's a, you know, so. Bigger parties every year. 
Yeah. <laughs> Scott should be shared. It should right. never be. Yeah. It should always be shared. Yeah. Agreed. I enjoy it when I'm sharing it with someone. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this. And I've, I've really enjoyed this time with you. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. I, I do have one more question for you. But before we get into that, um, well, first of all, if, if there's anything left unsaid that ties things up for you, um, space for you to share that and, and to plug yourself where people can find you, what you're sure. up to, if there's anything going on in the next few months that you want to speak to? Uh, so anything that's left unsaid, I'm a work in progress. Mm. Life is a canvas and I'm still working on me. Uh, November 11th, Remembrance Day. So it's about three, four weeks prior. I'm, I'm, I went to the Legion Command to get some poppies to send to my cousin, Martin Brecknockoff, and he lives in Hong Kong, his mm. wife and son. So I went to Legion Command, got these poppies for the mail. And there's a there's a guy at Legion Command. He helps people like me who want to check in. So he's like, hey, you know, how are you doing? Good. How, any pensions in play? Yes, I have flat feet and I have two missing teeth. So um, I've, I, t- I take a bit of issue with my teeth pension. Uh, the benefit was five years. It's been extended to seven. Every seven years I get a new set of two front teeth. Is it a retainer? Yeah. Okay. Pop it out. Uh, ah, <laughs> yeah, there, there it is. <laughs> nice. Floor hockey stick in the army. <laughs> Can you hear me lisp? Foul. <laughs> there was teeth are back in. <laughs> so yeah, floor hockey stick knocks them out, and these are plastic, okay. and they get. I'm allowed a be- every five years. The benefit allows me to get another set. Uh, to a total of twelve hundred dollars. Well, the benefits changed to seven years, and just just this month, I think January. Someone, CBC reported that the Liberal government, and this is not a Liberal thing or a Conservative thing because both parties have done the same thing, so this is not one or them. Mm-hmm. But the current leading federal party had, has, in their, last, in their last bit of budget, still have, there's $107 million allocated to veterans mm-hmm. that has not been spent. Oh. And if you add up every year that the party's been in power, so we're going in four and a half, five years, that that could be five, six, seven million dollars, uh, not five. Sorry, one hundred and seven million dollars. So we're talking pretty. We're pushing a billion dollars in in money that has never actually been spent on veterans. Oh. Previous government had the same challenge. They were almost at a billion dollars when when Harper's government came out. That the liberals said that they would. Super Strange. side tangent. I've got I've got these plastic teeth, and you've got a hundred million dollars of just sitting in the bank. Can I have the four grand to get a bridge, <laughs> please? <laughs> I'm not sure why that needed to be said. Well, you never know who's listening, so. <laughs> uh. Okay, so I go to get these poppies, and Sean yes. says, how are you? Talk about teeth <laughs> and feet. And feet. And he just asks me some random questions. And I think they're all innocent. And, and next thing you know, he says, how would you like to have a conversation at the OSI clinic? It's Operational Stress Injury Clinic. Mm-hmm. Fancy word for PTSD. Okay. And I'm thinking, yeah, what the hell? You can tell me I can get some free therapy. I'm in. <laughs> so I uh, go in early December 6, 7, somewhere in there, early December. Sit down and meet a psychologist. Asks me a lot of questions. I'm there for four hours. I do some tests, all these things, memory tests, mm-hmm. short-term memory, long-term memory. Week later, I come. Two weeks later, I come back, and she hands me over a document. 
post-traumatic stress disorder. And I was just beside myself. I actually didn't expect to disclose this today, but I did tell you before we go, nothing's off limits. And so that deployment, hypervigilance, and on and on, obviously created some stuff. And um, there was a lot of trauma in my life before joining the military. Mm -hmm. uh, I think my parents then would just call it parenting. And they didn't have the best tools, yet they still did the best they can with the tools they had. And I have no, you know, I'm not here to crucify them at all for yeah. the way they raised me. But if we look back and we're honest, you know, how we disciplined, how we loved, how we communicated, not necessarily the healthiest ways. Mm -hmm. So you take that, you take the military, you take, I exited the military with, with no plan other than my return of contributions, which was pretty much burned up. 16 grand was burned in six months. Mm -hmm. uh, two divorces. When, my w when I was married to my wife today, our son went through um, heart surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, he had gone into cardiac arrest right in front of us. So to watch that, he's airlifted. You know, the doctor says if he's still alive in two hours, we can stabilize him. We can get him to Edmonton. We hope we can do a heart-lung bypass and wow. repair the damage. I'm like, wait, 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 if he's still alive in two hours? So all this trauma has been bubbling, 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 adding on one on top of the other. Mm -hmm. And I was just working overtime to suppress it, all of it. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the military. Right. It's all of these things collectively stacked. Yeah. And, you know, I would... I would use any emotional effort at all to keep it under wraps. And uh, to the point where I just, you know, didn't want to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, uh, so I'm reading this report and I'm like, I didn't go to Afghanistan. I, I'm not sick enough to get this treatment. So the OSI, I'm seven, seven sessions in, um, I've actually not disclosed any of this to my clients, even for the biggest fear that that they'll I'm somehow damaged. Wow. <laughs> so no. I'm not. No, you're just, not. I'm not. You're I'm human. Just, uh, <laughs> so again, ADHD. I, I talk before I think sometimes, mm. and so th it's just it is what it is. I love I, and people say Vince, how you doing? And they don't and they don't know anything. And I'll say, you know what? There are certainly a few challenges in my life, and in spite of all that, I'm I'm living a pretty blessed life because I am, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, seven sessions down the road, my healthcare team is amazing. They make space. They help me make sense of things. Yeah. They are phenomenal, and I read a ton. I do a lot of work on my own, and uh, Michael, uh, just the timing of Michael Singer's book, The Other Tethered Soul, mm -hmm. is therapy in itself. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, just getting used mm -hmm. to who I am and looking in the mirror and seeing that I don't have to, that, I mean, always wear the mask. Yeah. Well, and if I could, you know, the only thing I would add to that is to, to acknowledge that the, the label of PTSD it hasn't changed anything. Right? It, like, you're still who you were before. You're still dealing with yes. the same stuff. Yes. You now just have more support and you're going deeper into the stuff that really needs to be surfaced and yeah. moved through and yeah. it, it's just going to make you that much more in touch with your clients and with your family and yeah. the amount of empathy it, it's just this is like uh, this is a rebirth moment for you right now 
Yeah, uh, it's it's um, it's really unfamiliar territory. I mean, however many minutes ago, twenty minutes ago, you're talking about how I'm successful doing this, I'm doing that, and I hear those words, and I think, you know, there's this narrative that I again, wow, that was an interesting thought, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. the awareness, the discipline, the consciousness to see. And this is a really new space for me where I feel a lot of positivity. I feel a lot of opportunity. I feel, that's not the right word, opportunity. Um, optimism, mm-hmm. just massive optimism. It, like this isn't something I'm trying to hide. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's the right way to disclose it. I'm, certainly I don't think it's appropriate in a client session, but at mm-hmm. the same time, like someday, some when, somehow they're gonna, they're gonna find out. Yeah. And so instead of hiding it from it, I, hey, it is what it is. Uh, I got a plan. I'm safe, you know. Yes, yeah. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I I love life. I'm. You know, when death comes, it comes. But I'm I'm loving life. Yeah. Every moment. Every. I've never lived in a moment where every moment felt so real and mm-hmm. tangible. Mm-hmm. Until really just the last two weeks when that part in Michael Singer's book, mm-hmm. where I embodied it. So yeah. yeah. So that's the un. That's the undone, unsaid stuff yeah, that thank you. I think is relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm in a really good place. Like I said, family is helpful and kind and forgiving and loving. Friends, healthcare, yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Lots to be grateful for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there is. Well, you know, interesting enough, one of the things that, um, are we still in February, within February Feb- 7th? Yeah, Feb 7th. Um, it's Eating Disorder Awareness Week. I think today's the last day oh, of it. Important. And with with all mental health afflictions, including PTSD, they thrive in silence and in the yeah. dark. And and so I, I'm honored that you spoke to this and that you, you allowed yourself to emote and go into something really raw because not only is every moment you do that, not only is it healing for you, but it's healing for absolutely everybody else who, who is touched by mental health afflictions. Yeah, I'm two and a half months down this road and mm-hmm. I've had two and, month, two and a half months to process it and start working through it. So, you know, there's certainly some challenging moments, but I remember Brene Brown saying exactly what you said, like shame and judgment just needs secrecy and silence to fester and get worse. Yeah. And a friend have said, we're only as healthy as our secrets. So those two things came at me hard. Yeah. And I said, well, Fuck that! Mm-hmm. I'm not going to leave that stuff inside. Yeah. So how do I, how do I appropriately bring this up in a way that, you know, I've dealt with it, mm-hmm. and, you know, to bring it up in a way that doesn't come across victim. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, it just again it is what it is. I'm not the first one. I'm not unique. Lots of people have dealt with post traumatic stress, mm-hmm. and the beautiful thing about it is on the other side of post traumatic stress is post traumatic growth. And there's a ton of science and research around that. So that's mm. the that's the path I'm on. And if anything, yeah, it, it'll help me work with my clients because I can, <laughs> boy, can I relate. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you had a shitty day? Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> Not for the purpose of comparison. <laughs> let's go there. Let's, but let's go there. Like, how are you working through this shit storm? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I always, from the beginning of when I started coaching, what I had in my mind was I can't, I can't, take anyone further than I have gone myself. And so it's, for me, it's just a continual plunge 
just going deep. Anytime something comes up that I just am like a little irked or yeah. it just great. Here's another thing to really dive into and get to know. I need, I want to know myself intimately and I want to keep track of every step, everything I try so that this is something I can then share yeah. with it the people your toolbox, around me. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When, so people can find me the easiest way is just Google Vince Fowler, vincefowler.ca. Yeah. It's, you can't miss me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, I started off very much business coach mechanics, you know, sales, marketing, profitability, financial discipline, financial literacy, those sorts of things. How do we make this business more profitable? Mm-hmm. And along the way, I would recognize certain behaviors, you know, um, that, you know, they would recognize there's something they needed to do, execute on. I'll often use the, the idea of they got to raise prices. That's not always the solution, but in this particular example, it is. Mm-hmm. And the person was resistant to re raising prices. And this was common amongst a number of my clients really resistant to raising prices. And funny enough, it would take about six months to get the courage to raise the prices. And their biggest fears was if we raise our price, the client will stop purchasing from us yeah. or they won't buy from us or whatever other bullshit narrative that existed. Yeah. So I look back at my, my coaching toolbox and it, it basically said, repeat, repeat, repeat. Okay. Here's the spreadsheet. Do you understand the math? Right. And that wasn't working. And I was like, okay, so we have a behavioral problem. We have a, a narrative issue, mm-hmm. a story that's interfering with progress. And that's when I got really interested in psychology. Yes. Uh, so the, how the brain changes itself was sort of the, the gateway, like Jameson was the gateway to yeah. Scotch. Norman uh, Doidge, right? How the brain changes itself. Yes. Yeah. Amazing book. Totally. And so I be, that was five, six years ago. Yeah. So I've, for the next five years, all I did was read positive psych, unknowingly, mm-hmm. organizational psych and stuff, yeah. Adam Grant, Brandy Brown, mm-hmm. Angela Duckworth, you know, you know all these names. Yeah. And really what it comes down to, the mechanics of the business are what they are. Yes, we can talk about them and I know how to grab a wrench and tweak some things. Mm-hmm. But what I really care about is how do, you know, how do we escape this narrative that is enslaving us so that we're not our best, we're not the best leader that we can be. We're not the best colleague that we can be. We're not the best husband, parent, wife, spouse, whatever it is. Because, you know, someone asked me the other day, are you a business coach or a life coach? My friend said right away, yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, thanks, <laughs> yeah. Jerry. Uh, Miranda, tell me more. What do you mean? I said, so she asked a few more questions. I said, let me put it this way. We can, a life coach can coach life perfectly. A business coach cannot coach business without life because mm-hmm. they're, ingrained they're yeah, entwined they're totally. weaved together yeah. so so i had resisted for years for any identifier to even you know, any label that smelt sniffed rhymed with life coach mm-hmm. but what i care about today my clients you know they're all shapes and sizes uh, from half a million to a billion they're all very unique people the common thread between all of them is they are human beings mm-hmm. who experience trauma who are playing small somewhere in their life and fear is getting in their way, and they haven't dug deep enough to understand what that fear is. Mm. So one person, the, the fear be- underneath, you dig deep enough, it's this fear of enough. And thus, he is not doing what he believes he wants to do and needs to do, he just, he's playing small. Yeah. And it doesn't matter he or she, there's not a gender thing either. People play small when, they're, when fear gives in the way, and what's mm. behind that fear? You know, my tools allow me to dig behind that. Yeah. And the results, because my clients are business owners, the results do show up on the income statement and we can, we can look at the different levers and the different KPIs. Mm-hmm. But you know, the KPIs we should all care about are how many times we come to work smiling? How many times do we hug our colleagues? Do we hug our clients? 
No, that was a that was a hurdle for me to get over. I hug my clients. Mm. I tell my clients I love them. Mm. You know, if I don't get a hug from a client, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> Something's up. Three sessions in a row, no client for no hug for Vince. Mm. <laughs> what are we holding back on? <laughs> um, so yeah, mm. so yes, the the numbers matter. But if we believe, if we follow the finite game of Simon Sinek, you know, infinite finite games, um, if we really want to play the infinite game of business, Mm -hmm. where we filter all decisions through vision, mission, and values, purpose, that there's just cause, and build trusting teams, then we've got to be real. We've got to be raw. We've got to, we've got to, and this is where people like me and you come in. It's very difficult. Someone said this to me today. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't disclose this with my team. I'll create all this uncertainty. Let's examine some of that. Maybe mm-hmm. some of it you can, maybe some of you can't. Mm-hmm. I can't bring it home because I'm going to, uh, another guy said, I can't bring this home. My wife's going to freak, he says to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. Let's, let's explore this. Right. Let's examine what can you and what can you. We want to we mitigate this fear of uncertainty. Yeah. So how do we disclose without causing this, you know, the, the hair going on fire? Yeah, yeah. Which is the limbic system blowing up. Right. Mm. Uh, so anyways, that's the, yeah, vincefowler.ca, plug it in. Uh, the website's in, we're in the process of, the language on the website does not articulate the coach I am today, the okay. person I've evolved into. Yeah. So we're in the midst of some house cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's good. Constant evolution. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Just like you, right? Oh, yeah. Never ends. That's what I love about it. Yeah. Well, and I want to point out too, and you may already be fully, fully aware of this, but the the archetype of uh, your your client that you describe of what they're going through, do you recognize that it's it matches very much of your personal what you're going through? Tell me more. <laughs> um, I can't see the forest through the trees. Yeah, so I benefit from the uh, I, I benefit from outside eyes. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a super it's common phenomenon. I see this in some, including myself, is that we we build we manifest what we need. Mm, yes, I believe that. Right. Yeah. So the yeah. way that you described clients of, um, you know, they can know know all the things that they need to do, hit all the numbers, do all the things, um, but then there's this narrative that gets in the way, and you you, were, you used words like I'm not enough this or I have fear doubt around this and that that becomes the block and and they're not able to at this point or you're helping them do the work to get deeper into where that fear comes from right so as you were describing that I just saw well that fits perfectly on exactly what you're going through right now yeah so of course that's your niche that you're supporting people in you know some people would say to me well business coach what business have you had and I'd feel shame around that because I never had owned a business prior but um you know, I work with business owners, right? For lots of different reasons. I mean, they drive our country. Mm-hmm. You know, small business in Alberta is responsible for 32% of Alberta's GDP. Wow. Big deal. They yeah. employ, uh, within the private sector, it's like overall, it's like 70% of all employed people work for a small business owner. But mm. within the private sector alone, it's 92, 3% are an employee yeah. within private sector mm-hmm. that work for, 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 for a business owner. So it's, business owners are a big deal, yeah. right? And it's a, it can be a really lonely, dark, frustrating path. Mm-hmm. It's big highs. I mean, you know, a client, big high, yay, yay, super proud, boom, boom, hitting all the, yeah. Two days later, you got to talk me off the shelf. I'm in a serious <laughs> pit. I'm in the bowl of self-doubt. And I've, I know his pain. I've right. been there. Yeah. So I may not have 
had a $30 million business, not relevant because again, numbers are numbers. It's, I know what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and say I'm the biggest, meanest, baddest mofo, so get out of the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So life goes on. That's right. But if it doesn't, slangeva, <laughs> Cheers which to is that. Gaelic for good health, <laughs> right? And 23-year-old, mm. great. Oh. Oh, I'm having more of this. Oh, yeah. That was delicious. Um, I think I'm going to be going to a spin class later, so I think that's it, it for me. Um, okay, one more question. So we've already talked a little bit of, about cannabis and your experience with it. Yes. Um, one of the things that uh, started alongside this idea for a podcast was an idea of kind of like a sister podcast to this one. So okay. this is the ABCs to live your dope life. And I also want to start the ZYX to live your dope life. And the idea behind that is to engage with the same people on the ABCs, um, but with ingesting a little bit of cannabis before. Oh, wow. Um, and part of the reason for this is that cannabis has been a big part of my life and my own healing and, right. and, and navigating what's too much. When am I using it to vo avoid and numb? And, and when am I using it as ceremony and therapy? And when am I honoring the plant? When am I, you know, there's... You know, it's complex, like anything else. And and I love the plant, and I think it's beautiful. Yeah. And I I think some of the conversations I've had while while I've ingested cannabis have been, like, mind-blowing, you right. know, says me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to put that out to you to see if that's something, whether, you know, already we've ingested a little bit of um, something for, for this episode, but if you would be comfortable, whether it's psilocybin, we could do a microdose. We could have a little bit of cannabis. We could do uh, edible if you're not a fan of smoking. Um, but but taking a little something, having a little ceremony around it, and then getting back into a conversation. And that's another podcast. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. All right. How do you feel about that? Well, I I would think about that. Yeah, um, yeah I would think about that. But I wouldn't have to think. I don't think I'd have to think super long. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in charge of me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm incredibly curious. So yeah. I like to look at you know certain things and data and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, you my curiosity is flaring up hard right now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let's I, let's talk more. Okay, wonderful. And I I'm I'm foreshadowing that. You know, I'm really going down these rabbit holes in quantum mechanics right now. And and I I just everything that you've said you're touching on these these mm. tethers that okay. are sparking quantum in my mind, and that I think very Joe Dispenza yeah Doctor Joe yeah that definitely that's part of it um it's it's a fascinating world and it's not yeah there's so many different people who are obviously physicists are uh, in this realm um but I yeah I'm really intrigued by that and I have a feeling that this would that would be a conversation that you would really light up in so cool. yeah so I don't have any dates set at this point I'm anticipating summer sometime okay. um, but I'm still working out what that looks like so right now it's just putting it out there and getting a feel for it and it's so far it's being well received going back to what Shakespeare said nothing's good or bad thinking makes it so and yeah. if we look at all the different stuff that people get hung up on in life you know both sides will find data to support their narrative. Mm -hmm. It's bad. Here's the data. It's great. Here's the data. Yeah. So it just tells me we have to make our own decision. And 
um, live to our values, right? Yes. And I value curiosity, I value connection, and I value courage. And the courage is the hardest one that I struggle to, to be with um, because it, it everything to do, anything we're going to do big requires a certain amount of courage. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, my curiosity is always flared up. My, uh, I, I live to connect with others. You know, if, whether it's for five minutes or five years or a lifetime. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So you got me in the feels. You got me in the values. So let's, right. let's talk more. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Thank you, Vince. My pleasure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. And we're out. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on social media at Dopamine. That's D-O-P-E-A-M-E. Or on my website under that same title, Dopamine.com. Please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed it and do not hesitate to reach out if you have questions or comments. I would love to hear what you want to learn more about. So until next time, love big and play big. Peace.